This episode of Guitar Radio Show is brought to you in part by... With a unique design and construction, DNA Guitars is a clear choice when looking for the all-around guitar. DNA Guitars' recipe for creating perfect instruments is steeped in tradition while looking toward the future. DNA's recessed bridge construction is a five-point contact bridge, a solid brass bridge that is inset into the body, maximizing strength, contact, and string vibration. An incredibly comfortable guitar to play, DNA Guitars molds to your body, and the neck profiles are wonderful to play across. DNA uses an exclusive 100% solderless wiring harness that is designed for guitars with single coil or humbucker setup. Looking for versatility? Look no more. Check out DNA Guitars. Go to dnaguitarcompany.com. Custom guitars handcrafted in the USA. DNA Guitars. Innovation to fuel your inspiration. Welcome to Guitar Radio Show, the show dedicated to the guitar player, guitar maker, gear builder, and purveyors of such items that you may not know about, but should. Here's your host, Mark Davin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 133 of Guitar Radio Show. Uh, We're doing a special edition episode because I really want to share this guitarist with you. Uh, It's a Monday and uh, we normally do episodes on Wednesday. And yes, there will be an episode this Wednesday. It'll be with Chris Duarte. But today, we're talking to a blues guitarist who I just can't believe how passionate he is. He's, he's just really, really smart um, about his playing, about music. And, and uh, I thought it'd be really cool to share this with you today. Mr. Jeff Jensen. Uh, you can go to jeffjensenband.com for more information about him and the band. Uh, and they are getting ready uh, to embark on a European tour, another European tour for them, um, on July 20th through August 4th. So you folks in Europe who listen to the show, thank you very much for listening to the show. It's great to have you as part of the Guitar Radio Show family. Um, we have uh, we have this for you today. So if you get to check him out, um, please do. Go to Jeff Benson, jeffjensenband.com and you can find the dates for where he's playing in Europe. Um, folks, guitarradioshow.com for all your .com needs. And uh, and I wanted to remind you, hey, if you didn't check out Adam uh, Adam's blog, 500 Words on Glam Guitarists, highly recommend you do. Um, it was pretty good. Uh, once again, he's always digging deep, and we talked. he talked a little bit about uh, Mark Bowen, which I'm a big T-Rex fan, so that was kind of cool. And there's a lot of cool vids on there as well. Some interesting uh, old New York doll stuff, and some even some Jane County, which is pretty trippy. Um, what else? Oh, this Wednesday, like I said, we're going to have uh, Chris Duarte back with us. He's back in Austin, and uh, once again, another fa- friend of the show. We love him to death. And uh, what else we got? Oh, Thursday, we've got um, Tips, Tricks, and Licks number five with Mr. Scott Gaylor. Go to scottgaylor.com. It's great having him as part of the Guitar Radio Show family. And he's doing a, uh, a blues, uh, B minor blues lick, which is, uh, when, I, when I went and learned it, when I, when I watched the video, he, uh, it's great as far as for your dexterity, and uh, it's a great exercise. And it's great to, uh, you know, kind of weave into your vocabulary um, while you're playing as well. So it's kind of got a lot of things going on there. Well, let's get into it. Jeff Jensen Band. Here we go. Guitar Radio Show. 
GuitarRadioShow.com. folks um you know when i started this show i started this show to talk to people just like our next guest um this is a guitarist that should be a household name we have mr jeff jensen in the room how are you jeff i'm doing great mark thank you for having me my pleasure man um i've been checking you out uh for a while now and i'm you know what I'm I'm most blown away about by you is um your enthusiasm. Does that make awesome. does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it does. I get uh I get that comment phrased in a in a similar slightly different way quite often and uh <laughs> I I'll say man a, a lot of that comes from the fact that I'm I'm lucky enough to do this for a living. I uh I know a lot of people that, that play guitar for a living and get to tour all over the world, and, and, and most of the people that I know are uh, very humbled by that and very appreciative of that, and I sure am, man. I, uh, when I was younger, I, I worked all kinds of jobs. I worked construction, I worked at music stores, I taught lessons, I worked in some retail environments, and I, I, I really know what it's like to, uh, to have a normal people job, and the fact that I get to play guitar for a living is a true blessing, man, and I, it's something that I, I don't take for granted. I'll tell you, gratitude goes a long way. Yes, sir, it does. Yeah, for sure. Um, you got a new record out. It's a live record, and, you know, it's so funny because, you know, your studio records are really good, but, I mean, they're really good, but it's interesting when, when, when folks hear you live and when you're in the live environment, you're one of those guys that it translates in a whole nother level. It's a whole nother, not direction, but a whole nother level, a step up. And, and um, there's this intensity, this ferocity to, to what you do and, and how you do it. And live is where it's at for you. Then every now and then we'll have some fans 
shows. They're like, man, I love your live shows, but I really like it when you take a deep breath and you really sing the stuff with lyrical significance to it. And so it's been a, and and that's actually something I'm really proud to embrace the fact that we have kind of almost a diversity Mm -hmm. within our fans. Mm -hmm. So I, but as as a as a brand, as a band, as a as a musical entity, we're constantly trying to positively accommodate both of those sectors and combine them. And I, so far, this the live album has only been out for like two weeks. It just came out. Mm-hmm. So so far, like all of the um, formal reviews, as well as the the fan reviews, that tend to be a little bit less formal, but equally significant. So far, they've been very positive, uh, but I, I can't wait to know. I, I really hope that this live album actually kind of bridges some of that gap because we intentionally did almost all original songs on this record, and it is the same intensity as our live shows because it is our live shows. I mean, mm-hmm. we really, we just played, and we just did exactly what we do every single night, and and so far, it's, it's, it's been going great. Well, that's cool. I mean, you know... And now you're getting ready, you said you're getting ready to go on a European tour, right? Yeah, we are. We're leaving in just a couple days of this tour. I believe we're playing uh, five or six countries. I know we're playing Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, Austria, possibly Switzerland on this run. Um, We're going to be gone the entire month of May, and then we come back to the States, and we have about, I think, 48 hours off. And then we go on a six-week tour that, that spans about 18 states in the U.S. And then we come back home for about 24 hours, and then we fly back to Europe for our second Europe run of the year. It's a, it, we're, we're basically, Mark, we're about to be on tour from just about in a couple of days from now until somewhere around November 1st when it comes down to wow. it. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Well, that's, you know, once again, and, and that's that the beauty of that. I mean, you love what you do. So it's not work. It's it's going to be hard sometimes, and you'll be tired, but at the same time, it's so gratifying. It is so gratifying, and I, I, feel, I feel super fortunate that I have a lot of mentors in my life, uh, musical as well as um, spiritual and business mentors, and I... I have surrounded myself with people that love what they do, if it's music or not. And Mm -hmm. I find that those are the people I have the highest admiration for because they're truly not working. They're actually just delivering what they feel their calling was in life. Mm -hmm. And when someone is lucky enough to have a job that they truly feel is their calling, then you're right. It's not work it's actually kind of fulfilling a purpose and mm-hmm. when there's purpose behind what you do it is so much more significant than the monetary value of, of having a job and I'm, I'm super blessed to be uh, one of those people that, that has that mindset at this particular point I can dig it so where, where did it all begin for you what what uh, what and who did you hear that you said oh I got to play the guitar and moreover the blues? I've always wanted to play guitar since I was super young. I had very supportive parents when I was eight years old. I don't even know why I wanted to play guitar. I I don't know what influenced me. I I don't know if I saw a movie or or what, but I I wanted to play guitar. My parents didn't know much about guitar. 
and they rented me a huge dreadnought cockamini guitar that I couldn't even get my eight-year-old arm over because they didn't know they were trying they just didn't know <laughs> and then they put me in uh, they put me in group lessons where I'm eight years old the teacher was probably 25 and he was a super heavy metal rock guy and everyone else in the class was in their probably low teens and I, and they all have electric guitars and the teacher's doing this crazy shredding stuff and I'm eight and I have an acoustic dreadnought guitar that I can't get my arm over. So I quit. It was super, it was just too hard. I didn't, I was very overwhelmed. Then, then about two years later, I, I told my folks, I was like, I want to play guitar. And, you know, they said the same thing that most parents would say, well, we already been through this phase. It just didn't work out. You already did and it didn't work. And uh, I, I was relentless with it. So they made me a deal. I grew up in the country. And uh, they, they made me deal that if I got a job and if I saved up enough money, then I could buy an electric guitar and they would support me in that endeavor. So my folks got me a job about a mile away from where we lived at this uh, little ranch. And I was cleaning out horse crowds and painting barns and working on the horse carriages. Um, and I, I worked for quite a while and I saved up enough money and I got my first electric guitar. And then and then it's just been nonstop ever since. I... Uh, my folks listened to old rock and roll. I, uh, my mom had a great vinyl collection, and I, I used to listen to Jimi Hendrix, to Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, Creed, Clearwater, all the old great rock and roll stuff that, as we know, completely was derived from blues music. And I was able to discover blues music through the old rock and roll stuff. Mm -hmm. I started reading the Eric Clapton liner notes, and, and, and you know these names were coming up like Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy. And so then I found... As soon as I found Muddy Waters, Buddy Guy, and B.B. King, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. As soon as I found those guys, that was it. That music connected with me deeper than any music, and it still does to this day. Well, that's great. And and so who would you say that, you know, all, over the years, who would you say you're the most influenced by? I, uh, I really equate that very similarly to food. I... I I don't know if, if, if everyone else has this struggle, maybe it's just me, but I really struggle trying to pick a favorite because it's very mood-based. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I don't like, when I'm on tour for a long time, I'll come home and the first thing I want is I want to go get Gus's fried chicken. That is a Memphis staple and I love it so much. However, when I'm home a lot, I don't necessarily need to go eat Gus's chicken all the time. Right. And I, I kind of I kinda feel like that with music as well. I, I, I'm constantly flowing through different um, levels of inspiration, and mm -hmm. it, it definitely depends on. And it, it, it's it's actually circular to me. I I always come back to you know there's guys like Wes Montgomery uh, is somebody I listen to very very regularly. Muddy Waters and BB King are always they're played at my place almost daily. Um, it's, it's, uh, um, T Bone Walker is somebody mm -hmm. we listen to all the time in the tour van. Uh, Robin Ford and Larry Carlton. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Kane is another great guitarist that's, that's around right now. He's amazing. They're, so it's kind of it's kind of a, a plethora of different different stuff. I I would say though, from a more philosophical standpoint, the number one thing that I'm inspired by as a musician is um, what I perceive is authentic emotional delivery of of music. Music is art, and when I find when, when I'm listening to an artist that seriously touches my soul, that is what is the most inspiring to me. And sometimes I'm, I'm 
you know, we're not all touched by the same artists, which is good, you know, otherwise the whole world would all be listening to identical stuff. So it's mm-hmm. cool to have that diversity. But, but that's, I, I really am looking for stuff. That, that's what attracted me so much to B.B. King. Is every single note B.B. King played and sang came from the depths of his soul. Mm-hmm. That dude was so soulful and so emotional. It was just real. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, did you, uh, so m- growing up, did you immediately start to play in bands and stuff too, or? Yes, I did. I, uh, I, like I said earlier, I grew up in a small country town, <clears> so <throat> the musician options were very limited, but, uh, I was able to find a drummer and a, a bass player and we were getting together playing songs that we called original songs but you know I started really writing songs at about 13 years old I'm not sure I, I've, I'm not sure I wrote anything of any quality and I, I mean you could debate right now if I've ever written anything quality even to this day <laughs> I don't know but uh, I started writing when I was about 13 or so so we started playing a lot of my original songs and when I was in high school I actually uh, my high school didn't have a music program so, and I really wanted to join the high school jazz band, but we didn't have one. So I actually joined the junior college jazz band when I was in high school. And I was also in a punk rock band when I was in high school. So on the weekends, I was playing punk rock music with my friends. And during the weekday, I was playing in the college jazz band, which is a hilarious paradox. <laughs> so that, that explains a lot. It really does. You know, uh, in your formative years like that. Uh, jumping around like that and, and experiencing all those different forms, I, I noticed that you you tend to when you in your live set in particular you tend to weave through different styles within the genre, and it's interesting because you don't see that a lot. I, I find that pretty interesting. You know, it, it's I it's such an interesting thing to try to determine. I. You know, B.B. King played, he had his own style of music, and he was extremely recognizable. Mm-hmm. And he played in the same style all the time. Same thing with Muddy Waters. Same thing with Steve Ray Vaughan, for the most part. Yeah. You know, and, and so you have this good, awesome quality with, with those musicians as well as tons of other ones, where their style is very specific, it's very recognizable, and it's what's interesting is trying to define why that is. And some of it is the general tonal quality of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, especially you got like Steve Ray Vaughan and B.B. King, like both of those guys specifically have a very recognizable tone. Very and true. they were very consistent in, with their tone. But then the other part of it is too, is the, the note choices and the phrasing that they chose to deliver what ends up being pretty consistent. So I, I always battle that within myself of, Where's the line between uh, almost creating plagiarism on your own playing versus defining your own style? Mm-hmm. And that is a very interesting line because I, I don't consider B.B. King to have ever plagiarized himself. He had his own style that he kind of pioneered and invented. So mm-hmm. he, he, even if he played a similar solo on different songs, that's because it's B.B. King. That's not that. However, there is there is probably lesser legendary people that do play too repetitively where they are no longer defining their style. They're almost being creatively lazy mm-hmm. with their approach. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I internally struggle with often, trying to 
because I, I, I really want to make sure that I'm constantly growing and expanding my own boundaries and limitations. And I try to do that at, at every single show I can. I try to take whatever I'm playing, I try to take it right up to the edge. Mm-hmm. And then I try to push it to see how far over the edge I can get without falling off the cliff. Mm-hmm. And, and when I take that approach, I know that it is sometimes a little bit dangerous because there is that possibility that I might fall a little bit. But that's also how I continue to grow and expand my, my musical horizons and try to kind of pick up new elements of, of creativity and inspiration. And so I, I, I try to incorporate different different musical genres and different phrasing, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to grow as a player. And I, I've been on a quest to do that for over 25 years, and it's going to continue for hopefully another 25 at least. Yeah, at the very least. I mean, yeah, it's interesting that you said that, too, about pushing yourself and, and going to the edge and, and being at the precipice of, of what could be uh, a euphoric moment or could be complete disaster. And I think that's I think that's really, you know, a lot of musicians don't do that enough. They play it safe. And I think that's great that you do that because um, you're creating moments. You're creating a, a, a moment for for you and and that relationship that you have with the audience at that particular moment you know oh mark i i can absolutely not agree with you anymore i i agree with you so much on that i i it was said to me once it was defined in regards to music the difference between a true artist and a craftsman mm-hmm. and it was something that i think about on a daily basis and you know it was kind of defined to me that an artist is somebody that is constantly trying to push the boundaries of creativity. They're not trying to replicate something that's already been created. Mm-hmm. They're trying to create something new. Where a craftsman, for instance, let's take a cliche craftsman, how about a plumber? You know, there are plumbers that do an absolutely amazing job, but their whole entire existence, especially like a repair-based plumber that's coming over to fix your kitchen sink, his job, is to fix your sink in the most efficient, proper way possible. It's not to create the next generation of sinks while he's at your house. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, of course, some some there are some plumbers that are, I'm sure, creating the next level of, of how water and gas shall flow through a residence. And I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the, the normal day-to-day job task of somebody that's, say, um, you know, a craftsman. And what I have found is, there are a lot of musicians that are actually craftsmen. They learn, they learn the craft of what they do. They play, they play guitar, and they learn the patterns. They learn some scales. They learn some modes. They learn a series of licks, and they go out there and night after night, they essentially regurgitate what is safe. They regurgitate what's consistent, and they regurgitate what they feel is going to work. And that's not that's not necessarily bad. It's not a tragic existence like it's beautiful anyone that gets to go play music however I, I definitely am personally required myself and my soul to take more of the artist approach I you know we have original songs they have structure they have form they have a tempo they have a key center all of that stuff is consistent you know there's even like in, in terms of solos there's even melodic themes that are consistently played throughout the solos however Nothing, the, the the guitar, especially the guitar phrasing and the solos, they're not written out. They're not played the same. So again, sometimes there's themes that are played, but they all kind of 
even the length of the solo. And I really want to challenge myself and my audience to go on a constant adventure together where we don't really know where we're going to go. We have a pretty good idea mm-hmm. of where we're going to go, but we don't really know. And, and we're just kind of going to go there together. And it's not to such an out degree that one would classify it as free jazz. You know, it's really in the context of a lot of things that are very consistent. So it's not really that out. It's really just a perspective of trying to view every single night as a unique experience. And what, what I really try to do with music is play the current state of emotions that are happening. And so from night, from the first night to the second night to the third night, there could be any series of events that changes the general mood or atmosphere of a gig, of a musician, of the entire band. And that in itself should positively influence the show. And so if we're stressed out and we're tired, we're not gonna give a stressed out entire show, but what we might do is give a little bit more of an emotional show mm-hmm. and uh, kind of vent out that frustration through the, the music that we play. Mm-hmm. If we are super happy and super inspired, well, you might hear that emotion a little bit more. Maybe it's gonna be slightly more playful. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that all is creating what I consider art and what I think that a lot of our audiences appreciate as art. As well. Absolutely, I, I I couldn't and I couldn't agree with you more. There's been so many times that I would pick up the instrument and and be in one mood or another, and it's it's going to or one state of mind or another, and and it will influence me to play a certain way. I could be playing the same exact song that I played when I was in a great mood or when I was more rested, and for some reason or another, there's this other. There's this other intent that that comes yeah. out, you know, and I, I think intent is is something that we we I think musicians don't think enough about is what's my intent here? What what am I intending to do? I think you know there's that the surface intent of I'm going to play music and I'm going to play it for people and hopefully they'll enjoy it, but what about the intent? To move somebody. That's a different type of thing entirely. So you got to dig deeper for that. Or something is going to influence that to make that happen. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. You, you, at some point, a musician has to get away from the tangible and the literal and start thinking about music in the abstract. And, and when one can accomplish that, in my perspective you really start creating art at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's like, you know, if you sit down and you say, hey, we're going to play a blues shuffle in the key of A. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And then you as an artist start thinking like, well, man, I, you know, this was kind of, okay, we kind of got a Chicago blues groove, so I'm going to play like some of the Chicago guys. I'm going to play like Jimmy Rogers would play this song. Here I go. Listen to me uh, trying to emulate the way that Jimmy Rogers would play an old Chicago blues shuffle. Isn't this cool? That's all right. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. But when you sit down and you say, okay, stop it. Hold on a second. All right, look, we know what key the song's in. We know what kind of groove it's in. That's fine. That's fine. We got that. But what is this song about? What are we actually singing about right now? Because I'm going to play something totally different if it's a, if it's a breakup song or it's a I just want to marry you song. That's a different tonal element to me and the way mm-hmm. that my soul and my mind and the creative elements to, to me express that are 
completely different. Am I angry? Am I happy? Am I upset? Am I uncomfortable? What is this song about? Mm -hmm. Because as soon as I understand that, now that is the way that I want to approach it on the guitar. And that isn't necessarily great, man. This is a blues scale. Make sure you emphasize the flat seven and flat five blues notes in that blues scale on this. That's very literal. And sometimes literal descriptions like that need to be given. But more than that, it's like, hey, play, play me something. Look, look, dude, you're happy right now. Play me a happy lick. Well, I don't like what notes should I use. I don't care what notes you use. Mm-hmm. I want to hear what you play guitar like when you're happy. Mm-hmm. What does it sound like to you? It doesn't matter what it sounds like to me. It matters what it sounds like to you. And once a, a guitar player or any musician gets comfortable with that philosophy, then they truly start playing in their own style. They're playing them. They're no longer emulating somebody else. They're no longer playing a series of licks that they learned in a magazine or on a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. They're really starting to play their own music from their own heart, and that is truly art. Well, for sure. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny that we're talking about this, and I, and I can cite a moment uh, with you that I'm watching. I was watching on YouTube you doing a version of uh, the old um, Otis Rush tune, uh, "Double Trouble." Oh yeah, and it's this extended version, and you are whipping yourself into a frenzy. I mean, just a froth, and and the audience is getting completely sucked in. And all of a sudden, they're they're all revved up and they're freaking out. And it's it's and folks, I'm going to include that in the show notes here. So when you uh, download the episode, go to guitarradioshow.com and you'll be able to uh, see that particular performance. It is intense, man. It's so good, and you're so swept away. And it was interesting because here I am. I'm looking at it on a screen, so it's two dimensional. But I got right. to- I got sucked totally got t- sucked into it, and I got I was one of those moments of ooh oh this is it man he's there you were on the precipice oh. you know it was so great it really was oh thank you Mark. that means a lot to me man that's uh <laughs> that was filmed in in Quebec City I think last year at a festival we did it was this indoor well it was, uh, the whole Quebec City was having a big festival multiple venues and we were playing this. Uh, kind of small theater style venue. It was, it was powerful. That song specifically is one of the most powerful songs ever written in in, in the blues genre, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really feel it inside my own soul. And I, that video is doing, you know, it's doing pretty good for us. You know, we have quite a few people have seen it. And recently, I saw somebody had shared it on on YouTube and, or sorry, on on somebody shared it on Facebook and. Some guy made a comment about, you know, well, you know, yeah, the music's fine in this, but this isn't really, you know, this isn't really how Otis Rush did it, you know, he did it differently. And I, I, I really want to write the guy and be like, but that's the point. I'm not playing, I'm not trying to emulate Otis Rush. I will never be Otis Rush, ever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what I do. There is no possible way I will ever be Otis Rush. And as a result, out of respect for Otis Rush, I don't want to mock what he does. I don't want to mock his style of singing and his style of guitar playing. I want to respect him by covering his song in the way that I interpret it. You know, and, and that song, again, that song means a lot to me. And I, I, 
and that's the way I approach all the music that we choose to cover. You know, we do we do BB King songs to Otis Rush to Tom Waits to a couple Bob Dylan tunes. Like we do a whole array of stuff, and I always try to play them like we play them. And that's the talk I have with my band all the time. Is, <laughs> especially if we're, if we're talking about doing a new a new cover tune or whatnot. You know, we sit down and we're like, okay, guys, guys, did you listen to the song? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is how we're going to play. You know, man, that's not really how it goes. No, I know that's not how it goes. I don't want to play it how that goes. I want to play it how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and that, that approach is like, there you go. Now, now the songs that we choose to cover are truly our tunes. They're, they're you know, they're, they're, the music is being expressed to the same mm-hmm. quality and caliber as we express our original tunes, mm-hmm. which is really what, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, it's so funny. Years ago, I must have been, oh God, I must have been 17 or 18, and Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick said to me, you know, you know, I, I was telling him, you know, I was working on a band and all this stuff, and he goes, you got any tunes? I go, yeah, I got some tunes. He goes, you got enough? I go, no. He goes, you doing covers? I said, yeah. He says, don't do them like the record. Make them your own. Do it, do it, yep. do it totally different and make the song your own and pick something obscure from your favorite bands. Don't pick the song that everybody knows. And all of a sudden, people think it's your song. <laughs> you know, it, it, it'll be, it'll oh, be so thought true. of as your song, you know. And, and so true. It, it's funny because when you think of, of some of the covers that they've done over the years, they did them their way. Right. So I totally, right. I totally and get it, with that. The other thing that's fascinating, too, is to think about how many, how many super famous cover songs there are out there. Uh, for example, we do All on the Watchtower in our show. Right. The amount of people that come up to me and tell me how much they love the Jimi Hendrix song that we play. And and that's fine. Jimi Hendrix did an amazing job at that tune. I love it. But, <laughs> but he didn't write it. Well, that's a... That's a Bob Dylan tune, you know? Like, you know, like, you, you, could, you could say, again, like, it's not disrespectful to call that a Jimi Hendrix tune. As a matter of fact, my understanding is Bob Dylan, even after Jimi Hendrix recorded and published that tune, my understanding is Bob Dylan even came out and said, whoa, I like I like his version better than mine. Yeah. We're going to start doing it like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. So, you know, t- there's a... That song in particular is kind of more or less understandable of why people get confused about that. Yeah. But, but that, that is exactly to your point. Is Jimi Hendrix chose to take that song and do it. He didn't do it like Bob Dylan. It's the same chords. It's the same lyrics. And there's still a general element of similarity to it. It's not completely off the wall. But when you listen to it, it's still his. And not that, not that we are anything close to Jimi Hendrix or Bob Dylan for that matter, but... We cut all on the Watchtower on our on the River City Sessions, our new live record, and, mm-hmm. and we did not try to emulate either one of those versions. Again, mm-hmm. we weren't trying to like blow anyone's mind with our original composition of an old song. We weren't doing that. We just play it like we want to play it, and we play mm-hmm. it with the, the same um, the same level of intensity that we do all of our original songs, and we took the same level of care to do that song really like it's ours. And I actually had a dude come up to me the other day that. It said, "Now, I, I, for the record, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with this. I'm not saying he's right. I don't want anyone to think I'm claiming this. But a guy came up. He's like, man, your version of All on the Watchtower 
is exactly what I've always wanted to hear. It's, it's in the middle of Jimi Hendrix and Bob Dylan. He's like, that's the perfect version. And I was like, whoa, it's like super humbled by that. Like, wow, man, I mean, that, that's big words. I'm not sure that, that it's the perfect version in between anything. I just want to do what we do, you know? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but to, to your point, yeah, it, in my perspective, you know, if your job is to be a cover man, then you probably are more of the craftsman element of the music scale. If, right. if we had a scale, say, that, that goes from, uh, you know, craftsman to artist, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably more closer to the craftsman scale if you are a true cover band and if your job is to truly emulate the song note for note of how the original went. Mm-hmm. But that's not what most artists do. Most artists get up and they do how they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. For sure. So what 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 uh, what drove you guys to choose the songs that you did for the record? Well, uh, we had performed in we cut the live record December of 2015, and right up to there, all of 2015 and 2014, we were touring pretty much nonstop. I think we played. 400 shows in those two years. I think we played 10 countries in 30 different states. So we just really wanted to document our show. We we felt really good about what what we've been doing. We felt really comfortable with it. We tour as a trio, which is so hard to do. It's so hard to make a trio sound good. Um, so, but, but we we felt that we really had at least our music together. So. Uh, we just wanted to record our our show, so we invited. We actually did it in Memphis, Tennessee, and we sold tickets to to the show. And we had people from eight different states travel to Memphis for the show, which was so cool. That really meant a lot to me. Like we kind of super fans from I think California, Missouri, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. Of course, there was folks from Tennessee. Uh, some folks from New York came down. I think I think we maybe even had some folks come up from from all the way from Florida. So we just had this big blues party and we just kind of played our show. We actually played, I think, three sets of music in front of our, our live audience and we pretty much put the first set on the record hmm. and now we just have the rest of it kind of in the bag. Like, you know, maybe we'll release it sometime. I don't know. I don't know. I'm happy with, the, with what we came out with though. I'm proud of it. It really represents what we do. Yeah, I'm actually, I've, been, <laughs> I've been telling people, I'm like, look, here's the deal. At this point, and I, I, I really say this honestly, like, if you don't like this live record, you probably just aren't going to like my band live. You're just not going to like what we do. And if you don't like my band live, then you probably are just definitely not going to like this live record. Because this is really what we do live. It's just right. very, it, it's very intense. We take risks. We just, we really just play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you can hear it. Definitely. Absolutely. You guys didn't videotape it too, did you? We did not. We we thought about doing that. Uh, that was definitely brought up. Uh, we had a lot of fans that want us to come out with a formal DVD and all that stuff. And I thought about it, but you know, we actually have some incredibly large shows coming up uh, this year. We have some huge festivals in Europe, and some of those are going to be recorded uh, audio and video as well. And so I don't know. I. It seemed to me that there was so much more that had to go into it to formally do a real video. Mm-hmm. Like, do the real D 
DVD thing. Like now, not only do we need to sound good, but now we need all of the visual aesthetics to do that. And and so we kind of decided, we kind of got the team together, and we decided, you know what? Let's just hold off on that. Like mm-hmm. let's let's just get a good live CD out. Let's just do what we do, and then sometime sooner or later, the situation is going to present itself for us to do a good, genuine live DVD. And what I would really like to do with the live DVDs, I. I'd really like to do it a bit, you know, if, if we do one of our big festivals where there's thousands and thousands of people there and we really get the audience involved like we normally do, that's going to be powerful. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to hold off to that. I know there was some people, we did allow people to take videos and there was some folks there with nice cameras doing it. I don't know if anyone's posted anything or not, but I'm sure at some point some bootleg video will come out of that, I'm sure. <laughs> cool. So let's talk about gear. Cool. Run me, run me through it. Run me through from guitar all the way through your signal chain. Run me through it. Man, I have, um, I have a three thirty-five. I have my my main guitar is a nineteen ninety-five Gibson three thirty-five, the dot model. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just recently bought another one because uh, that guitar, the only guitar I love to play right now. It's the only one, so I need another one. <laughs> yeah. So. I now have a 1981 and a 1995 335. Um, and then I have very limited pedals. I have a Boss tuner. I have a Ibanez TS9 Tube Screamer that was modified by Analog Man. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have a Sparkle Drive, which I have, I have everything on the Sparkle Drive just turned up to noon and all of those knobs taped down. And basically what I use that for is a clean boost. Okay. And then, uh, oh, and then that's all, that's all, that's kind of my pedal board. And then sometimes I put a box wall pedal on the end of it. And I play with that sometimes. I, uh, my main amp is a 1965 Fender Vibrolux. It's almost all original. Um, I mean, it pretty much is original except for tubes and, I think I've broken the reverb tank nine times or something ridiculous. <laughs> so I've, I've had a, a bunch of new reverb tanks, but I mean, speakers to capacitors to all that stuff is all, it's all original. And it's awesome, man. I've had that, that 1965 Vibrolux for about 10 or 12 years at least. And, uh, the day I got it, I ordered a, uh, really nice road case for it and it never leaves the road case. And even though that amp, has been at every single show and every single record I've done for the last 12 years, it still looks pretty much like the day that I bought it. <laughs> and when I bought it, it was already like 40 years old. So it, it didn't look like a brand new amp to begin with, but it's an awesome amp. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Yep. And you're, and you're okay with taking it overseas and everything? I don't take it overseas. Oh, okay. We can't take uh, for, for multiple, reasons one uh, no i wouldn't be okay with that that travel would be crazy um the other thing is they have different power outlets over there so if you want to take an american amp over to europe you have to have a totally different power transformer equipment Mm. or you need to have a converter you know in in line um but yeah when we go over to europe they have we have kind of a full backline gear at most of the gigs we play and then we travel with with gear, our tour manager sets up all that stuff. But I do take that amp on every single show I do in America and Canada. It, uh, it drives around those. I also have a, uh, 1976 Silverface twin reverb that I use for, um, 
on bigger outdoor gigs, I'll use that amp. Sometimes my favorite tone in the entire world is when I have my twin and my Vibrolux both hooked up together mm-hmm. because I have like, my Vibrolux is, is dirtier, it has two tens in it, so it's, it's a little punchier and dirtier, and my twin is clean and warm and big, and so I kind of have this best of both worlds where I have like the, the drive of my Vibrolux, but I have the clarity of my twin. Mm-hmm. So I kind of really have like this this beautiful um, I, I, diversity in tone, basically, between the two amps that creates this big wall of clear but substance guitar tone. You know, sometimes if you have guitar tone that's just too clean, it doesn't cut very well. Yeah. Or, or it doesn't fill in the, you know, or if it's too bright and it cuts, it just doesn't fill it in. Yeah. You know, you need to have like, that's the thing, like if you have a, if you have a strat through a twin and that's a super bright twin, that's a tough gig as a trio. You know, mm-hmm. you better be playing some big chords to fill in that sound oh, or it's yeah. just gonna sound kinda empty. Yeah. So. That's cool. And, and um, what about strings? What gauge? I use um, Diodario 11, their standard 11 gauge. I think it's like 11 to 49 or something weird like that. Mm-hmm. Um, ESL 115s, that's what they are. And you're, and you're bending like that with 11s. That always fascinates me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I found that 11s are, 11s are, for me, they're perfect. Like, they have that, they have that big tone. I can still manipulate those strings. Um, when I have strings that are much lighter than that, I, I struggle controlling them sometimes, especially on some of the bends. And, and that's primarily because I've, I've trained myself for so long to use 11. But right. it's funny, anytime I go somewhere and I sit in with somebody, a dude hands me a guitar with like nines on it, I I sound almost like I can't play guitar. <laughs> I try to bend, I, I try to do like a nice whole set bend, and all of a sudden I'm bending from like the 12th fret up to the 17th fret. I'm like, how did I do that? That's not the sound I normally make. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great well I'm, I'm really excited for you and this new record and and everything you got going on and, and uh, um, man I, I wish you know what you, you think you think during any of those uh, those uh, American dates we're going to see you here in Austin Texas we are playing the um, Tall City Blues Festival in Midland Texas which is out uh, out a little bit more west. Yeah, and for sure. I think that is, um, it's in July. Mm-hmm. So there is a chance we could hit Austin on the way to or from that. That would be good. And I, I, I yeah, I, I know our agents are working on on something in, uh, in, in uh, Dallas or Fort Worth or Austin. You know, I, I, I know that they're, they're hitting up all those, all those cities. And I, and I really hope so. To be honest, with all the crazy touring we've done, we've been able to play Texas very little, and I hate that because I love Texas. Every time I've ever been to Texas, awesome people, awesome food. Mm-hmm. It's it's a and, and passionate. Like I, I've met so many super musical, passionate people from oh, Texas. Yeah. So I, I I really hope to be able to get out to Texas more and tour there regularly, especially because quite frankly, I live in Memphis, Tennessee. Texas isn't that far for us. 
You know, the fact that I've already done an entire tour through Western Canada this year alone, mm-hmm. and we haven't even hit Austin once? Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. We got to get you here. It'd be great. It'd be great. Um, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today, man. It's, it was so great having you. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate your questions, too. It was great talking to oh, you. Oh, thanks so much. Hey, folks, Jeff Jensen live. The River City Sessions. That's the name of the disc. I highly recommend it. It's good for your soul. That's what it is. It's just good for your soul. Jeff, thanks so much. Hold on right here, but we're going to sign off, all right? Perfect. Thanks, man. Well, there you have it. Uh, Folks, go to jeffjensenband.com for more information on Jeff. And uh, don't forget, this Wednesday, we've got uh, our episode, our normal episode with... uh, Chris Duarte and we talk about the fan club disc and the fact that he's back in Austin and all the other cool stuff that he's doing and uh, don't forget Thursday with Scott Geller at guitarradioshow.com and on our YouTube channel we've got tips, tricks and licks number 5 and uh, all that cool stuff alright folks we're going to get out of here but in the meantime take care of each other take care of yourselves keep on playing and please buy it don't steal it we'll see you on the next episode of Guitar Radio Show Peace. Everybody say, you, Ed. I like this crowd already. GRS Productions. New episodes of Guitar Radio Show air every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbay, Player FM, Podomatic, and of course, on guitarradioshow.com.